Hello, I'm Sophia, and this is my place where art and grief meet. We were talking what it's all about. How this step led to that. There we go. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. It's not a problem. That is just, it's never smooth. No, no, never smooth. How are you? How am I? Well, I'm heaps better. Thank you for asking Gary Moore. Gary is the person we're going to be listening to today, dear listener. He is um, somebody I've known for 30 plus years because he married one of my best friends from school and I was a bridesmaid at their wedding. So Gary is part of the narrative of my post-school existence, which is lengthy. He is a commercial photographer, but also an artist. Those two things are not mutually exclusive, of course. Gary and his wife, Veronica, who's my friend, uh, run and own a very successful production agency called Miss Bossy Boots, and that keeps them busy. Gary is a born creative. He is also very philosophical. He's open, he's interested and he's engaged and he wants to be a good person who makes a positive impact on the world. He has an amazing, lovely family, two grown children now, but um, nobody has a family photo album quite like they do. (laughs) He has used his creative spirit very well in um, capturing the growth and development of, of his family, which is absolutely delightful. His creative work can be seen in two places, the easiest of which would be his website, which is garymorephotography.com. I will put a link in the show notes so you don't have to worry too much about the spelling of that. And um, really nobody can describe Gary and his pursuits better than he does himself. So I'm going to stop talking and turn this over to Gary and me. uh great energizer I think to to have something that you're you're looking forward to oh absolutely yeah well you've just finished doing something that you were looking forward to yes as in the Lara Pinta yeah yeah you can tell me a little bit about that in a sec so first of all can you just explain how what do you do and Um, how did you come to do that? Okay. What do, what do I do and how do I come to do that? Um, oh, God, that, that's a big question. And it's it's like it's it's more a, a, a telling of my life story, if that's the, the case, because I think from a very early age I became aware and others pointed out that I had um, a proclivity towards creative endeavours. Um, so I guess in in my childhood, I was a, a you know manic drawer. I used to draw all the time. Uh, when I went to school and then pursued art as a subject, I probably was drawn more to the traditional aspect of painting. Mm-hmm. But I became aware that I was not really a great painter. Maybe if I had a dedicated more time to that as a practice, I might have become better. But at that time, you know, being a, a mid-late teenager, um, I think there was a bit of frustration that my painting wasn't good enough. Good for me was I was not achieving. And, and at that point in time, I think I was looking for uh, probably a better um, craft, and I wasn't achieving the craft. Yeah. And I and I think also as much as concept is again subjective to where you are in life. Yeah. Conceptually, I wasn't really capable of of sort of uh, developing ideas that I I wanted. Yeah. So when I finished school, as in secondary school, I. I knew I wanted to do something in the creative fields. I applied for a whole bunch of different areas, ended up getting into art and craft teaching at Mm -hmm. Melbourne Uni, which was great because it was a really brilliant opportunity to experiment with all sorts of different mediums and practices and so on. Mm -hmm. But I guess the contingent thing there is the teaching. And I realised at that point in my life, I was not cut out to be a teacher. So I I left that, I travelled for a bit and 
then uh, through the travel, uh, obviously you take a camera with you and and uh, began to realise that photography was something that really resonated with me mm-hmm. and then applied and was accepted into the undergrad at RMIT in photography, did that, and that was geared at that time very much more towards a commercial practice. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I just fell into it um, and began my commercial practice and, and continue with, with that for God, it's it's coming up on in in a, a couple of years. I'll have been doing it for forty years, so it's it's been a, a long time yeah. um, career. But I always maintained what I would call a personal practice, but I think upon reflection, I would say was more a uh, an art practice mm. uh, where I would use that medium and that process to explore ideas. Now, some of those might have been more reflective of experiences that I was going through rather than a deep dive into philosophical or, you know, uh, questioning aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think that the key moment from an art point of view came when, uh, so Veronica and I, my wife and I have uh, a production company and that production company turned 16, as in 16 years old. We decided to uh, have an exhibition for all of the artists that we represent and we gave the theme, really, really open theme of just 16. So Mm -hmm. each uh, artist could interpret that however they want. And at that time I'd been reading a book that was about the Dutch still life masters of the 16th, 17th century uh, and how they used to do still life work on commission for the rich of the day. Mm -hmm. But in painting those paintings, they would always incorporate elements of decay or time uh, hinting at you, well, you may have all of this wealth now, but you're going to die. And and that really intrigued me. So for that exhibition, I did a series of still life work, which was I I took, you know, and it was very, very uh, much a a homage to that sort of work in style, but I aged each set for 16 days. So uh, that's where the 16 came in. Exactly. It was was mm-hmm. just it was all starting to to shrivel and die and so on, and even incorporated elements of of uh, creatures that had passed on. Then one had a rabbit, one had a chicken, and they were aged for sixteen days, so they were getting pretty pongy by the end. <laughs> um, I suffer for my art. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so did a few other people in this video. Um, and the, the exhibition went really well. And at the end of it, I uh, entered them in the uh, Murray Art Museum biennial uh, photo- photographic competition and was uh, privileged enough to be one of the, the winners of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an acquisitive prize. So there's, there's multiple winners and they purchase the work through the uh, money that they have. So, yeah, my, my work is now part of that collection, that permanent collection at the Murray Art Museum in Albury. Mm-hmm. And that sort of opened my eyes up to, you know, I think it, up to that point I'd always gone, oh, it'd be nice to be able to do a more art practice. And that really opened my eyes up to the fact that if, I think I can actually do this. I'm just going to interrupt Gary for a moment here to let you know that the artworks and the series that Gary made for this exhibition is called Thanatos, which means death in Greek. And the artworks are incredible. They are rich and painterly and very um, Baroque in their look. And they're definitely worth looking at. So I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can go straight there and um, have a squeeze. Um, that then led me to apply to do a Masters of Fine Art at mm-hmm. uh, RMIT, which I was, again, thankfully accepted into. And the, the great thing with programs like that is they really challenge you to... So, so they, they sort of say you, you have a number of different options. You can either carry on with your traditional work, in which case you probably won't get a lot out of the course. You can take your traditional practice and deconstruct it and reconstruct it in a different way, in which way yeah. case you will get a lot out of it, or you can step into a totally different practice. Now, I made the choice. Initially, I started in photography, but I made the choice to step into a totally different practice mm-hmm. and ended up pursuing a more sculpture uh, installation 
practice. And that continues to be in conjunction with my photography and I guess motion work to Mm. be where my art practice sits today. Right. Okay. Does that answer that question? That's that's quite a a journey though. Like it's very much pretty full on. Yeah, and it's an ongoing journey. Obviously, you know, you, I, I'm a, I tend to think that um, for some people, so for me, my art practice is, is intrinsic to my personality. I, I, I just feel a drive to create, and that can be everything from, you know, if something breaks, I, I don't go buy a new one. I see if I can create a new version or fix it or whatever yeah. to you know, diving deeply into philosophy and then um, exploring ideas, concepts from that within the work that I create. Well, that's it's funny you should say that because what I know of you and I've obviously known you for a long time, you have always struck me as a person who will look beneath the surface and it's interesting and you're also not afraid to pivot in terms of your views Mm. so Mm. there's always this sort of search for expanding and Mm. looking what's at what's underneath and and what I find interesting is that you're sort of choosing to represent that in a non-linear form Mm. perhaps Mm. by making well sculptures but also with your photography and and there's a lot, like particularly in that series that you did for the 16 um, exhibition, there's so much in each of those works in terms of it's not just a picture. Like you look at it mm-hmm. and you think it's painterly, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like it's a still life. But when you, when you, when you look, really look at it, the works there's so much more that's embedded in how they're styled and um composed and how it's put together mm. and that's really reflected in that really reflects who you are and how you are in the world well yeah i i guess i hope so and and i think what i really aspire to do with the work that i create is uh to to not not be proscriptive to people, not be saying, uh, well, here's a picture and this is what I would like you to think or to do. It's more, I I love that sort of uh, sense of mystery Mm. that will then get people questioning. Now, in that process of questioning, people may come up with conclusions that are vastly different to my, I guess, my thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, they may be even in opposition to my perspectives or my values, but it's it's that process of uh, opening up questioning that I really think is valuable. And getting back to you know sort of the the questioning element of of life and myself, I'm I'm constantly intrigued and checking myself, particularly from the point of view of bias. Um, how how on earth do I ensure that the way that I perceive the world and the way that I interpret the world mm. is I'm not going to say right because there is no right or wrong, and that's that's I guess where I'm coming no, from. You it's, could it's say a, though that it's true to who you are at that moment in time. Well, exactly. Or, or to me, it's a valuable and impactful. Um, approach to life I guess mm. I, I I want to you know to the greatest extent that I can um, impact the world in a positive way mm. and again that's that's a very loaded word but I guess I guess that's that's part of my my motivation in making the work that people will then question and maybe just just search out how they see the world it, it's it's important I think as a a person who has confidence, to see the correlation between the fact that you can put something out into the world that is connected to you, but trust Mm. that your audience is going to be able to draw their own conclusions without you feeling so attached to how, how it is um, not received, but what is taken away from it. I think it's really important Mm. that audiences are allowed and encouraged to not be, you know, 
it has to have the long description at the bottom. Like this whole idea of allowing people to draw their own conclusions and live with those and let them change over time. As I know that I Mm. look at stuff that I've made and gone, oh, I didn't, there's there's something in that that I didn't realise at the time. But now when I reflect back, I can see that there's something else that I was obviously, it was occupying Mm. me. When I was doing that thing, yeah, yeah. maybe things are that deep. But oh, look, I think I think they are. But I think it's also, um, and and I'll, I'll relate this to myself, and it's it's very uh, pertinent to the crossover of commercial and mm-hmm. I guess art practice that I uh, straddle. When when I was doing the masters, I was constantly being uh, challenged on the aspect of expediency and and that is really what the commercial practice is all about someone comes to you with an an idea uh, a layout a concept and they want you to uh, create that so that that you can share that narrative but obviously there's all sorts of constraints there's time constraints there's budget constraints there's you know all sorts of stuff that that come in there's clients who are constraining over top of the the creatives at the agency. So there's all of these constraints. And as a result, there is a a huge uh, tendency to be expedient. So what's the quickest way that I can get there? Now, that may be Photoshop. You know, I'll just do a couple of images and put them together. It might be I create something that looks like it, but not is not really it. And this is, is, is hugely questioned or was hugely questioned when I did the Masters from a process point of view. And I had... Uh, I had one piece that I made that I was I was really really it, it sort of was a a penny drop moment. Yeah. Um, the the work that I started creating was very much based around my uh, engagement with natural environment. Um, yeah. uh, and it sort of came out of the my experience as a as a climber, a rock climber. Uh, so when I'm climbing, I'm very much in in touch, literally in touch with the the material of the natural world. So I wanted to explore that that engagement with natural materiality through the sense of touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I created this one piece where, look, it was it was a pretty pretty weak piece, but hey, you know, you you've got to you've got to experiment. But it was a it was a, a tree that was growing through a mirror. So the root ball sat underneath the mirror, and the top of the tree was out of at uh, the top okay. of a mirror. And I basically cut the tree in half drilled a hole in the mirror, joined it together and presented it. And one of the, so the, the normal format is you, you set your work up in a gallery situation at the at uh, uni and all of the students, your fellow students come in and they critique the work, not in a negative way, they just read the work how they yeah. see it. And this one person just kept on saying, you killed a tree, you killed a tree. All I can see is you've killed a tree. And, and it was like this... This block, you you you're not getting past that to see what I'm trying to you know explore here. Mm. But but when I sat down with my supervisor later, she said to me, look, that that obviously was a an issue. And she said, it's all about the process. You went for the shortcut to try and explore what you were exploring. So so she said, imagine if you'd grown a tree through that mirror. And I was like, yeah, well that that would take potentially years, but. The thought of that, um, of a tree actually growing through it, all of a sudden you realise process, that, that and, I, and I almost see an artistic practice as, as two parts. There's the process of how you create the work and there needs to be integrity and uh, a real honouring of what your intention is mm-hmm. uh, in that first part. Then there's the second part, which you were sort of alluding to, of, of the the letting go the the child has now grown and you let it be free to interact with the world mm. and and that is you don't want your work to be and there's there's a common term that's used in art which sounds very wanky but you know you don't want it to be didactic you don't want to be telling people what they should be thinking you want to get people to be just questioned to be going oh, maybe I don't quite get this but it makes me think about x or y or it makes me question how i maybe view um these things 
rather than saying you should view these things this way, mm. it's a, it just says, well, how do you view it? Is yeah. this valid? Is this is this a, a a constructive way to to see things? Yeah. Well, that's that's well. Okay. So one theme that's actually come up in a lot of the conversations that I've had with people is mm. the idea that when people have gone through adverse situations or have suffered mm. grief and loss, they have a greater tolerance or attraction to abstraction because mm. it didn't have a message that was just clear. Mm. They didn't have patience for it. But once they've actually been through a process in their life, which maybe doesn't have, you don't know why things happen. You just have to learn to accept mm. it. There seems to be a connection between abstraction and the acceptance of abstraction and mm. um, loss or, or mm. transition. Do you mm. have any thoughts on that? Well, yes, yes, I do. I, I, and and it, from the point of view of, of loss in my life, I, I consider myself to be one of those anomalies in that I, I have, it feels to me like I've lived this charmed life. Life's great. Life's really good. Yes, I lost my mum uh, now how many years back? It was probably seven years ago now. But in that that situation, she, she passed away from Alzheimer's. So her passing was... Uh, you know, and and she had a, a pretty nasty um, end of life situation with Alzheimer's. So her passing was a blessing. It was like, oh, thank God, you know that that sort of suffering has has gone. And I think the fact that she went through that transition from being who she was to where she was just before she passed away, it was over a ten year period. So it almost felt like that grieving process happened slowly mm. and a lot a lot more mm, a lot easier if that's the right word because when she was still primarily who she was we all became aware of what that process was going to be you know you you would have to be living in some sort of um state of mind of denial to go well we can't, you know, I can't see what's going to happen. Of course, we yeah. all knew what was going to happen. Sure. Um, so, you know, from that point of view, I guess that's that's the main loss that I've experienced in my life. Mm. Um, to the point of, uh, you know, your your raised point of abstraction, I guess I, I, I state that because my feeling is I haven't experienced loss like you've experienced to sort of go, oh, yes, I have this great sense of... Um, uh experience of loss and it, it was was a, an eye-opening experience for me i guess my understanding of abstraction and I, you could argue that a lot of the work that i do sculpturally is an abstracted version of it mm-hmm. um it's it's not figurative at all so yeah i guess i guess i work in abstraction i i haven't really sat down and and try to define what I do uh, in any great sense, but there is a strong sense of abstraction there. But it's interesting to me because with the commercial work you do, it doesn't Mm. allow for, um, like it's very definitive and Mm. and it has Mm. a direct purpose and the communication has to be clear or else it isn't successful. And so for your art practice to almost take uh, the opposing or have the opposing elements underpinning is kind of interesting to mm. me. Yeah, and look, I, I guess I, I would break it down into, well, I, I use the, the terminology of narrative mm. uh, and I know narrative can be a very loaded word, but but I guess I, I sort of feel my, my commercial work deals in a very figurative, a very um, explicit narrative. Here, here's a product you want to buy it, here's a service, it improves your life, whatever that be. Mm. Um, this is this is the, the base level of, of communication, I guess. Um, you know, X is good, use X. Yeah. Um, whereas I see my art practice as in that abstracted emotive territory. 
if that's the right way to put yeah. it. Um, you know, emotions are by the very nature totally subjective. Mm. What what I call happiness, you may call something else or, or what I feel as happy. You're never going to know what I feel. I'm never going to know what you feel. Mm. What you feel is loss. I'm never going to know what that feels like mm. because we live this internal, you know, I'm not a, a solipsist by any stretch of the imagination. We share a reality that we can interact within. But um, th there is that that sort of final barrier that we will never be able to step around yeah. of what goes on in your head, what goes in, on, in my head mm. is intrinsically personal mm. but uh with my art practice and that sort of aspect of the emotive that's where i find i'm so intrigued mm. and i think that rather than than make the the work a, a really definitive uh obvious narrative i like it to be abstracted or to be um esoteric and and uh, really embrace the subjective yeah did that sort of answer your question? Or was yeah, that it does. <laughs> it does. Okay. The, thing, the thing is, and I think I keep bumping up against this, is yeah. when I talk about loss, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily mean death. I, no. I, I, no. I can be talking about um, uh, disappointment, unmet mm. expectations. Um, yeah. All of these, like life is about swings and roundabouts. Yeah, things yeah. and arrows, and it's yeah. Well, all of those things impact us all the time, and well, so... I think as artists, as artists more than any other people, uh, particularly if you're applying for grants or for exhibitions or for whatever, you're going to be knocked back uh, regularly, mm -hmm. uh, unless you're a Ben Quilty or someone like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, and and that that sense of um if if loss is the right word loss of success or or the the i sort of it's that whole thing of beating your head against a brick wall you you could go into the territory of i just make my work for myself okay well if, if you're not getting it out there for other people to view i don't know if that really falls into an art practice or more a, a meditation you mm. might go, oh, okay, well, I meditate. I, I, I do my art for meditation. Okay, no problems. But I, I personally think that part of that process of creating art is then putting it out into the public arena for people to engage with. Yeah. And that can be a really, really tough process. My work. It can be one that is, one that is full of loss. Mm. See, even with regard to this project, I mm. had come up with the idea of it. I went through the process of, and it was an extensive process of putting in an application with the Australian Council of the Arts for a grant. Mm. Mm. And the really good thing about doing that was it really makes you think about what you are trying to achieve and what are, yeah. what are your uh, end goals? How are you going to get there? How much is it going to cost? in time as well as financially, everything. Like it was such a valuable mm. process going through and filling out that application and submitting it. Then not actually getting funding mm. meant I couldn't, I didn't want to let the idea go. I didn't want, no. I, was, I was disappointed, but I didn't want yeah. to say I can't do this now because the whole point of this was that there was going to be an exhibition and there was going to be a book and mm -hmm. all of these things that had been part of my vision that had nothing to do with the project. Yeah. And then I realised after talking to someone that if I did podcast episodes, then mm. I could still achieve a, the same effect of communicating these ideas and other people's ideas because I want to think what I want to, drill down into what other people experience and it's the sharing of those ideas that is so valuable and so pivoting meant okay I go on a learning curve which <laughs> hello another learning curve <laughs> but it, it's it it all ends up being good in the end if you mm. if you can pivot and if you want to and if you've got the drive and and all of that stuff so 
I mean, out of loss, there's gifts. And for me, yeah. the gift of is that I just found a different way of achieving what I wanted to achieve. It just looked different. Mm. And for me, these things end up being really positive. I end up, and it's not about, I think I've said this before, buckets of, of rainbow dust and sprinkling it at about everywhere, but it's about really finding where the value is in your experiences. Yeah, well, look, I, I've always been a firm believer that the the most positive things in life are often the hardest work. Mm. Um, you know, and, and and everything in life is complex. Like, I I really resist the the uh, tendency to oversimplify, to make things binary, good, bad, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but but anything that is going to be a really impactful growing experience in in your life my life your life is going to be nuanced it's going to have pros and cons it's going to be hard one day it's going to be absolute you know heaven the next day Mm. you're going to be elated at one moment you're going to be in the depths of depression the next because all of these things are complex and hopefully fully rounded life experiences yeah, and I think part of the rounding off the life experiences in my experience is actually mm. taking the time to reflect on what's been because mm, yeah. that reflection, as you travel in that direction, that reflection changes. So the mm. event that occurred there, when I look at it from two years down the track, I can derive a whole lot of other stuff from that experience which yeah. if, and, if and people that, don't take the time to reflect, I don't know, it's up to them what they want to do. But for me, yeah. reflection is really critical. Well, I, I agree and I think it's critical to the the development of whatever your art practice be, mm-hmm. be it, you know, uh, an oral uh, podcast exploration of, of things or a sculptural or photographic exploration. Each time you, you create work, uh, be that an, a, a single piece or a body of work, mm-hmm. it is imperative that you reflect upon that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... What I really value, and and I'm part of a an artist-run initiative, and we uh, have regular uh, times together, uh, either presenting work that we've created or do exhibitions. I think that critiquing process, and again, critique, I think for for the general public can carry a, a negative connotation. It is more people come in, they look at the work. And they they tell you how they see it, what they're reading in it, and mm. that that aspect of reflection upon not just what have I uh, how have I grown or what have I changed or developed through creating the work, but what are other people uh, experiencing? What are they questioning as a result? Yeah, it really informs. Now you know you never want to create work for other people because then you're going down the the realm of commercial which mm. I'm too familiar with, mm. but it, it does help you uh, in that process to question yeah, my, uh, the process, the process that you're using to create the work. It helps you to, to, to sort of question and refine that process, I think. Okay. So in terms of like it seems to me like um, artistic expression or creative expression has been something that is intrinsic to your expression in the world Mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering what do you what does it actually give you like what do you derive from putting energy into that because you also put energy into being in the natural world and I want to go there for a sec you know in a minute but I'm just interested in what do you say for me my yeah. daily art practice is, like you said, is a meditative thing. It's calming. It's soothing. It actually mm. helps me spiritually. Like I feel better as a human being for for having that practice. And I'm wondering, is yours about communication? What what do you derive from your artistic practice? God, um, oh, gee, it, it's a it's a, a again a very nuanced question. Um, but I I think primarily. It's it's not like I I do it to derive something. 
it's like I, I have to do it. I have to make something. I have to create something. Mm. So, so what I derive from it is I get this sort of internal tension out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, and, and I have been fortunate in my commercial practice in, no, it's not a fully um, personal expression, but there is always, no matter what I do in the commercial world, there is always an element sometimes very diminished, sometimes more expansive, but there's always an element of the creative process there. So I've been fortunate in that my whole life, pretty much on a weekly basis, I have this creative um, desire within me fulfilled. Yes. Sometimes sometimes successfully, sometimes less successfully. And I I would interject and say there as well that the creativity isn't just the pressing the shutter no but it's no. the whole putting together of the thing and the dealing with the people and and the whole mechanics of production that exactly. is part of yeah. that creative expression yeah and uh it, it's it's lighting you know choosing every time you you set something up you can determine how that is lit and lights will change the mood of something it will change the perception of things so yeah it it it, it would be almost like saying well uh picasso each time he put his brush on the canvas that was the the creative process no that's that's just mm. a, a single element of it yeah. the creative process is how he sees and then he he brings that to you know, the, uh, I guess, reality on the canvas through the mm. brush. So the pressing the button of the camera, putting paint on a brush and putting it on canvas, they're mechanisms, they're, I guess, the craft. <laughs> to me, the art is in the perception, the the conceptualisation of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So so getting back to you, what what do I get out of it? So yeah. obviously I feel there's this, this aspect that is within me that I uh, almost feel compelled, if that's yeah. the right word. To, I love that. Yeah, compelled to uh, realise. But at the same time, um, I, I like I alluded to before, I get sometimes I get incredibly frustrated because what I want to um, express, I I feel I fail to express. Sometimes I get absolute euphoria because hey, that's work. That's really been what I want. Mm. Success here, be that in the materiality of it or in the conceptualization of something and it comes to to a reality um do so you, do you yeah. only feel success do you only feel success when the idea you had initially is realized in a way that you expect or sometimes is that a case that something actually different is yeah well i was going to say yeah probably more more often than not um like, but both both are, are true. If if I have a, a strong concept and it comes to realization, tremendous sense of euphoria and and success, if that's the right word. But equally, uh, there's been a number of times where I have been creating work in a certain direction, and there'll be a bit of a eureka moment where yeah. it'll be a, almost a, a a U-turn type of thing or a, a, a total repositioning. And that can be, oh, my God, you know, this, this I had never visualised it like this, but this is really heading in a direction I want to mm. head. So it can be it can be successes and failures that both work. Mm. More often than not, the failures are failures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but every now and then you get these, these eureka moments of failure and you just go, oh, that's really, really interesting. Mm. That it's it's a it aligns with what I know of you anyway because as I said before you're not a person who is has been afraid to change direction or you're open so with more mm. information and and more experience it, things change and evolve and mm. evolve evolve in a positive way. Well, so. I, I think equally the challenge you know I'm I'm, I'm getting older now I'm going to turn sixty two soon. Um, I'm abundantly aware that there is a comfort in the known uh, as you get older and and I really want to make sure that I dialogue about that personally and I'm aware of it because that is a trap. You know, dare I say, nostalgia is a 
tremendous trap that you fall into and needs to be questioned and interrogated all the time. Nostalgia as a personal, you know, looking back can be great, but it it becomes a block for a a true analysis and assessment of things Mm -hmm. because you just tend to go, I was better when it was, you know, when I was younger. Well, no, it might have felt that way, but is it really? Yeah. No, yeah, that's a, that's that's very true, and I think just even the idea of the good old days, um, mm. it, it, it's it's actually, well, am I going to say it's a fallacy? I I think that. I, well, I think if you look statistically, if you want to go and and look up statistics, um, you know, from the, everything from health, life expectancy, you know, peace in the world. Yes, we've got war in Ukraine and, and China's, you know, saber rattling and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But realistically, if you we are living in the best of times mm. at this moment. So um, the, the whole aspect of the good old days, I think, is it's it's more reflective of a personal experience, I think. You know, as as our bodies get older and don't function as they used to, and and walking upstairs is harder, and and just you know doing everything that we do becomes harder. It's very easy to look back to your twenties and go, God, life was so much easier back then. Mm. But that's that's more a physical reality of you know a, a personal experience. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the world was better back then. Mm. It just means maybe life was a bit easier to live back then for yeah. you personally. Yeah. Yeah, I I I definitely think like on a on the personal level that mm. the more information you have, the easier it is to understand. The less mm. opportunity then there is to to be angry, upset, and frustrated because you've got more information. And the only way you get more mm. information really is time and effort. So I know Absolutely. that life for me, has been time and effort. And Mm. so when I look back to my earlier time, it was Mm. definitely not easier. And even though difficulties have come, you know, come to light, like, you know, you realise that Milo's autistic, Mm. there's the information that comes from having that information, like the learning that's come, means that everything's so much better. Like we know better how to manage each other and we have a much better relationship like I could never wish for him to be going through and for me to be mothering him how he was Mm. before we knew yeah it was so different and so Mm. fraught Mm. yeah absolutely but I was going to say even beyond the I guess the um the, the statistical physical realities of the world that we live in I and I'm, I'm sort of reflecting this in ter- uh, from the perspective of looking at, at uh, an older generation, older than myself, an older gener- generation. And I think it's really important to constantly be questioning your values. Mm. So what are the values that you think are important in life? Because they're going to be your compass. So if you go, I actually value equality mm. as, as a value, then that is really going to make you look at how you perceive um you know feminism uh, racism equality within the workforce gender dysphoria you know neurodiversity all of those things if equality is an important value for you it really shapes how you see that and instead of going oh you know it's very different to when i was young because it felt simpler back then you start to go well my values are i really would hope for a world of equality so therefore i now look at all of these i guess we call it they've been around forever but they're newer issues because they're more in the public domain and it helps you to go actually i really support feminism because it's about equality i support neurodiversity because it's about equality i support equality amongst people of all nations and all religions and all of that sort of stuff. So, and, and that, that then goes across the board. You can really start to look at all of the other values that you hold and they can be as simple as kindness, 
you know, if, if kindness is a, a value that you have, that can then shape how you view the world and how you interact with the world. Yeah. At this point in our conversation, I started to tell Gary about a book called Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon. Now, I wasn't very succinct in my telling about it, so I've actually cut that section out of this conversation, but I don't want to not tell you about it. So, as I said, it's by Andrew Solomon. It's called Far From the Tree, Parents, Children and the Search for Identity. Um, What he does is he looks at children whose identity is described by their diversity. Like, for example, if they have autism or if they're deaf or if they are little people or I mean, there's a chapter in there about children who commit crimes and the consequences for the parents, how the parents deal with the children. All There's all different little stories of humanity in this book told in a most compassionate and compelling way. I can't recommend it more highly, so do yourself a favour. Okay, back to Gary and me. Two things. You embarked on two adventures this year. Yes, two two adventures this year. Two adventures. One of them, well, actually, neither of them had the outcome that you expected because on the second one, you had, it took longer than you expected because there were things that turned up on the way. And the first one didn't end up the way you expected. Can you tell me about those? Okay, well, it was actually three adventures. So I presume presume you're alluding to the first one being uh, walking the Australian Alps walking track. Yes. Yes, so that was actually uh, end of October, start of November last year. Okay. And the Australian Alps walking track is a 650-kilometre, I guess I was hoping to do it in, I think it was six six weeks, something like that. You start at a town called Wellhalla, which is in Gippsland at the, at the southern foot of the Great Dividing Range. And you basically go out into the wilderness and trek all the way to Canberra. Um, there's only two towns that you will intersect with on the whole walk one being Mount Hotham which is a ski resort in the high country and the other one being Threadbow which is another ski resort in the high country mm-hmm. so I only got in so as I, as I said 650k I got in 180k uh, over what period uh, I'm trying to think I think that was 180k in about oh, 10 days something okay. like that yeah I ended up pulling out uh and it was for a whole range of reasons I think the main reason was lack of experience and and as a result carrying too much weight I was I was carrying seven or eight days worth of food uh each time I'd get to a foot food drop um so that that extra weight impacted on my experience and made it super super tough um added to that the weather we're, we're now going apparently into our third la nina year yeah. that was that was the second la nina year and i had just days and days of, of snow and rain and all that sort of stuff which i sort of don't mind walking through but i think it just was wearing on me mm. and the third factor i would put down to it was right at the, oh, I guess, in the middle or tail end of, of COVID. And as a result, the trail had not been walked by many people. Right. And it was pretty overgrown. There was a lot of tree fall that hadn't been dealt with. And it just meant days and days and days of, of really, really tough walking. So, you know, either clambering over trees that have fallen down or you have to go you know, 20 metres off track to go around it and then you come back and you can't find the track again and you're sort of hunting for it and eventually you find something that you think's the track and you walk for a bit and you go, no, that's not the track, so you've got to go back and refind the track. Yeah. I, I had a GPS with me, but there was there was one day, this was actually the day that I, I finally had had enough i had to climb a a mountain called mount mcdonald which has three peaks got to the and and again there's there's no track so you're basically just navigating this spine of a mountain this that goes up you get to the first peak and then you go down into a small saddle and then you get to the second peak and then the next saddle had a rock face on it which i slipped off and nearly (laughs) fell off the mountain oh god managed to get myself back together did the third peak and then came to a point where the guidebook said uh, the 
the spur of the mountain goes to the north, you now have to turn southeast and find your way down. There was no track whatsoever. So it, it was just like, well, I think it's in this direction. I walked for about 15 minutes, checked my GPS, and it said, you are five metres off the track. And I thought, five metres, that's not much. I'll just head in this direction for a little while, and I'm bound to find something that's the track. Walked for another 15, 20 minutes, checked my GPS again. It said, you're 45 metres off the track. Oh, no. Like, oh, my God, there's just no track. And it was just just really, really tough walking. And I, I think being the first multi-day that I'd done for a long time, I was probably ill-prepared, too much weight, weather conditions, poor track conditions. In the end, I just went, I can't continue to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up getting myself into trouble and found a, a way out, which was great. My son could come and, and meet me and pick me up. So that was great. And it turned out fortuitously that I made a really good decision because I think it was two days later they had three days of, of absolutely horrendous weather I think they had 30 40 centimeters of snow fall in the good area great. and no I would not want to have been caught out in that what was your feeling about it oh, at the time I felt like I was an absolute failure um I I, I know even when you heard that it started right yeah right. yeah even you know uh, I, don't, I don't consider myself to be some sort of gung-ho bushy you know I can I can survive anything but when when you put so much planning into something and what you believe is is all of the preparation that you can do and mm. I've prepared a lot to to get in you know, supposed to do 650k. I got 180. And I was like, oh, oh, is that all I got? So yeah, there was a tremendous initially a tremendous sense of failure. Yeah. But um, you know, I've had time to interrogate that. And as much as I would like to go back and complete it, um, I'll see. You know, we'll see what what life holds. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it was a tre- an amazing learning experience. It was an amazing adventure. And uh, connected with people in a very way when you're out on the trail. Um, so that that was that was adventure number one. Adventure yeah. number two was I did the Grampians Peaks Trail, right. and that was in May, May 2022. And I did that with a, a good friend of mine. That's a 170 kilometer, 12 day hike. Um, and that that went uh, with great great success. You know, it was was one of those amazing experiences. We had every weather condition you could just about think of. Everything from tents fully iced up to beautiful sunny days, pelting rain, fog. But I think just having done what I did on the AAWT, it yeah. made me more prepared for it. Yeah. I mean, the third one, which we sort of spoke about before, was the Lara Pinta Trail, which is a 240K, a 230K, excuse me, uh, hike along the ridges of the West McDonald Ranges out of Alice Springs. Yeah. But you begin at Alice Springs and you walk for 230K to um, the third highest mountain in the Northern Territory, which is called Mount Sonder, and you summit Mount Sonder and then you get your transport back. And the I guess the hiccup in that was that um, my wife, Veronica, her feet basically decided not to function that well on day six. And... We, we could see that there was there was problems coming in. It started initially a little bit, uh, a bit of pain, and then one foot went bad, and then we strapped all of that up, and then the next foot went bad. And I remember we had a very, um, you know, frank conversation saying, look, we came here to have an adventure. Um, there's nothing wrong with going, that's enough adventure. We can go. We can go. We can just say well we've done you know by that stage I think it was day 10 we can say we've done 10 days and and come back at another time or just go that's enough and she was no no I want to do this I want to finish it so would strap her feet up every day but the consequences of that was she was walking at a much much slower rate dare I say we we called her you know she was hobbling hobbling along most of the way um and it meant that I guess, you know, you'd have to talk to her for her experience. For me, 
because she was going through a lot of internal dialogue, I would often walk ahead to give her space because I think sometimes if you've got someone else there, it just becomes, I don't want you here. Yeah. Um, so I would walk ahead for a little bit. I would stop, wait. I would see her coming and then I'd walk ahead a little bit, stop, wait. So that sort of aspect of the hike, we, we still did it in the, the same amount of days but it just meant each day was a very, very slow, plotty pace. What did it require of you to actually shift your focus from being about I'm on this adventure and I'm and I'm doing this walk? It took on a whole different thing because you also had your beloved mm. who's injured and mm. needing to go through their process, and so you're not doing it the way you would have thought you were going to do it like it would have would yeah ab absolutely it, it sort of uh th there were absolutely times where I was really really frustrated mm. and you know, not not that I would express that to Veronica I, I would you know be an internal dialogue of oh you know this uh, you know I'm going so slow and all that sort of stuff but um at the same time I, I try tried to keep myself open to mm. Uh, what what does this offer? And and what it offered was um, a lot more engagement with the environment. Yeah, it's very easy when you're hiking to get into the the pace and you just go 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 go. And and there is merit in that physicality of what you're doing. It's it's a for me it's a wonderful experience. I, I really revel in that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you can sort of reflect and go well. Did I really engage with the environment? Did I really take time to, you know, touch and and smell and sense where I was? Mm. And the fact that we had to go slower meant that uh, that opportunity opened up for me. So I tried yeah. as best I could to embrace that um, and and really take moments to not just look at the the grand vista, but look at the the minute details of of where am I standing. What what is this land that I'm standing on? Yeah, I, I that that's real. I'm really glad that you that you had that experience. That makes mm. it's really beautiful. Tell me, did you did you photograph while you were, or was that like extra equipment too heavy? Not well. When when I did the AAWT, I took uh, camera equipment with me, and that became part of the the aspect of of weight and. Right. You know, may, maybe with with lots of extra training, but getting older, I don't know if I've got it in me. So um, when I then did the Grampians Peaks Trail and consequently the Lara Pinta, I just took a very small video camera. Mm -hmm. um, so most of what I was recording was video, but I think I would say that the the, the strongest recording is mental. It's mm. it's more uh, that sense of of being within an environment, how I will, if I will, if I can interpret that into my artwork. Mm. I think I'm still processing. Sure. Well, um, how long ago did you finish? Not even a month. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we finished, um, yeah, it was the 3rd of September, I think. Mm. We finished, so, yeah, it's now 22nd, so 19 yeah. days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, well, it'll so, be so interesting to see if any of your experiences reflected in your artistic output? Well, I think it it will how how it will I'm I'm still trying to figure out and process, but I I sort of feel it's it's difficult to experience these sort of uh, experiences and not have it impact you in some mm -hmm. form or other, uh, particularly in a creative practice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm, yeah, I, and I wonder if also the fact that you had to slow down, that you mm. had to, that you had the opportunity, you, you didn't just sit in frustration, but you. No, there, there were definitely there were definitely times of frustration, but no, you know, that was balanced. Yeah, but you but you can also say that you you derived a a, mm. a richer experience because mm. of this adversity that yeah that was well, presented. Look, I, I don't know if I would would put the value judgment of richer. I would say a different experience, okay. and there was definitely richness in that experience. Maybe if I, it had have been, you know, we we can't do sliding doors that really bad film <laughs> but maybe if it had been the other way it would have been rich in a different way mm. but 
I think what I tried to do is rather than dwell in that negativity of this isn't happening as I planned, mm. it was to go, well, that's that's a fruitless exercise and is only going to get me frustrated. You know, yes, I need to. Did you actually have that conversation with yourself? Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, it's again, it's the, the complexity of going, I need to give myself the space to be a bit frustrated because, no, it hasn't gone ha- as I'd planned. But having then given myself the space to go, I'm a bit frustrated, you go, okay, well, where do you go from here? Mm. Do you dwell in the frustration or do you go, okay, well, yes, it's not as you had planned, Mm. but what can it be? How can it now um, be be a a full and rich experience in a way that you maybe hadn't planned? Mm. Well, I think that um, I'm a great one for not repressing or pretending that mm. where you're at at that moment in time yeah. is different than what it is. Like I yeah. think acknowledging gives you the opportunity to deal with it, whereas if you just try and suppress stuff, that just takes a whole lot of energy that doesn't give you the opportunity to 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 pivot and be agile, to use exactly. the yeah. language. Yeah. So yeah. And, I, and I, I, I think just that... don't believe in repressing you feel no. you have to do it in a controlled way but you know be mindful yeah. but well exactly the, the the tricky aspect of that is you know the, the person that i would normally share those frustrations with is uh the person who and i'll, I'll say this i don't mean it as in a negative yeah. way but it was the source of the frustration mm. and veronica was going through her own readjustment of her experience of of the hike and I I didn't want to load her with oh you know now Gary's frustrated or whatever Mm. so a lot of that was internal dialogue it was um acknowledging the frustration but uh as you've said to, to sort of use it as an opportunity to pivot and to um read or or discover a new way of experiencing and and I think yeah, I, I look. I, if I look back in my mind as I speak, I have no no negative recollection of the the journey. It was all yeah. positive. Was it how I imagined? No, but was it negative? No, it was different. It just, yeah, it was what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's just going well. This is what life has delivered right now. What are you going to do? What are you going to make of it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you you did it and you did it together and yeah. it's a testament to the nature of your relationship with each other as well that yeah. um, that you managed to negotiate that how you did. I'm really glad as your friend that, that that's how it panned out. Thank and, you. We've got more planned. <laughs> well, I just I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and talk to me about your your practice because I feel quite connected to some of the stuff that you've done that I've seen and um, and I would like to sort of put links to your website so that anyone who's listening can actually have a look and see what you sure yeah I, I am in the process I am in the process of, of redoing my website because at the moment my website is very heavily oriented uh, to the commercial, commercial yeah. practice that I have and I want to create a or, or rejig it so that it's got a, a balance between commercial yeah. and practice so that may be some time in coming because I'm not a great computer programmer but that will change eventually it's fine. It's all part of and, the all part of yeah, the journey. And, yeah, and thank you so much for having me on, Sophia. It, oh, look, uh, I'm so I'm, re- I'm really pleased. I'm I'm just I'm so glad that you're open to to sharing your um yeah. your thoughts and your process and everything. It's really good. Well, have a really wonderful day. Shall do. And you with too. that, I, I let will. Gary and, um, and mosey off into the wild blue yonder, and. I really had to think about whether it would be right to keep in the stuff about the hiking since this is actually supposed to be about art and creativity. But really, I think that what Gary demonstrated with his process in dealing with the adversity that he encountered on particularly the second, no, it was the third, wasn't it, on the Larapinta track with Veronica was 
nothing short of creativity in action. And it was very indicative of the man himself and how he goes about everything he does. So it was worth keeping in. Thank you so much for listening. I promise I won't leave it so long for the next episode. In fact, I'm intending to have it uploaded by this time next week. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being on the show to Blue Ant. Thank you to Dallas Cosmos, my super talented cousin, who has allowed me to use his song Good Goodbye, which is from his album The Memory Keys. I love it. If you would like to support Where Art and Grief Meet as a project, you're going to find all the information about it that you could possibly want on my website, which is sofansun.com. There is a link in the show notes. And you can also search Patreon for Where Art and Grief Meet if you would like to become a patron, which I would so greatly appreciate. My daily art practice is documented on Instagram at sophcosmos underscore art. And you can follow what I'm creating on a daily basis there. If you found the podcast interesting, do talk about it to your friends so we can expand the Where Art and Grief Meet universe. And I think that's all. So from me to you, it's a good goodbye until next time. Where Art and Grief Meet is a Soap and Sun production produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge Indigenous contribution to Australian culture. (laughs) 